from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. For the time being, we're dedicating Straight Talk to looking at the big picture issues facing us during the coronavirus crisis and also hearing from some of the voices you might not otherwise hear. We're all facing difficult challenges, but the pandemic has exacerbated conditions for some of our most vulnerable, those experiencing homelessness. We'll hear from people on the front lines trying to help, including a woman who's homeless herself. But first, businesses all over the region are closed and thousands are out of work. We hear from the executive director of the Portland Business Alliance about the impact on regional businesses, employees, and our economy. And what steps the organization thinks need to be taken now to help the region rebound. During the pandemic, we're no longer having in-studio guests. Here's my video chat with Andrew Hone from the Portland Business Alliance. Andrew Hone, thank you for joining us here on Straight Talk. It's great to have you back. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. We are experiencing a health crisis like we have never seen before. The last time you were on Straight Talk, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about how the economy had expanded, the longest expansion in U.S. history. So much has changed in those few short weeks, although they seem like really long weeks. Tell us how coronavirus is impacting the business community. Well, just the, the change in such a brief time period is remarkable. Uh, we were talking about the strength of the Oregon economy of the Portland metro region. Uh, today, unemployment figures were released both nationally and locally, and you see 3.3 million uh, new claims nationally for unemployment here in Oregon, uh, 76,000 new claims for unemployment. That's up from 4,900 the week before. Uh, these numbers are not comparable in, in any way that is, is, you can't reference this to any other point in history by the, rap the rapid nature of the deterioration in the economy. Uh, and so the impacts on business are thorough. Uh, they are widespread. They will impact every sector of this economy, every part of this region. So th this is a very uh, serious economic condition to, to go along with what is a global pandemic, which is the absolute priority uh, to tackle uh, today and, and in the near future. It's just devastating to to so many people. Before you took the job as president and CEO of the Portland Business Alliance, you headed up the Brooklyn Chamber in New York, and your very first day, Hurricane Sandy hit. So you have responded to crisis before. You know how to work in that environment. How would you compare these two crises? You know, the, the superstorm which struck New York was uh, one of the most devastating incidences in the city history. I've, I've, I've been fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you want to define it, to live in a post 9-11 New York City and also to live through Superstorm Sandy. So two really specific and, and challenging uh, crises that hit the city. Uh, and in Superstorm Sandy, what you saw is a week of, of fear of shutting down the city, of closing down stores, of preparing for what was uh, forecasted to be one of the more devastating uh, climate uh, incidences in the city's history. And then two days of a real thorough storm that just devastated the the entire all five boroughs uh, and then uh, the devastation that happened afterwards and seeing the scope and, and people's homes obliterated stores shut down wall street underwater uh, these were uh, these were concerning times and and what i can say to everyone here is uh, the brevity of those experiences was what is different here we are in the middle of the crisis and it is ongoing and we are responding 
to that crisis right now as it unfolds. So it's a very different experience, but I do wanna put in a real positive note here. The way that people came together in New York City after Superstorm Sandy was so inspiring that in the midst of all the tragic stories you heard, the camaraderie, the love, the, the neighbors helping neighbors, businesses stepping up to help other businesses, and then the national response and feeling like uh, that the national government had our back was precisely the same experience that I think we're starting to see right now here on a local level and nationally and across the world that people are figuring out ways to move forward despite uh, these trying times. And I think that the lessons learned when you have these really serious incidents uh, that hit New York are applicable right now where we need to just put all of our differences aside, get through this together, and we'll be stronger for it. The governor issued a, a stay-at-home order, and it's evident just in that uh, picture behind you. That's actually a, a live window shot out your window of the Hawthorne Bridge, and it's it's empty. How are businesses feeling about the stay-at-home order? Well, it's important to know that the the, the what we need to address first is the COVID nineteen outbreak. That that is the the uniform opinion globally of health experts, the business community stands behind what public health officials are advising. And we know that social distancing is key to preventing the spread, to flattening the curve. And, and the business community understands this is, this is unprecedented uh, in terms of what they're being ordered to do to, to sanction entire parts of the economy for the express purpose of making sure that the public health response is prioritized. And, and businesses are on board. Uh, the uncertainty prior to the order was what was, I think, the most challenging for the business community. We wanted a statewide order, not just a patchwork of local orders that might have been confusing and, and different uh, if you just walked across a jurisdictional line. So we were very much in favor of uh, the governor issuing a statewide order to stay at home. We think that the, uh, the executive order was well formulated and has some very good, easy to understand, easy to execute on albeit very hard to, to, to manage and to deal with uh, as small businesses especially, uh, but it is the right thing to do. We all need to do our part and businesses are on board, uh, even in these trying times. And Andrew, you spearheaded this letter that uh, was signed by 36, I think, different uh, business organizations and trade groups It's to the elected leaders urging an, a regional response, and it outlines what that response would look like. What do you think a regional response to this crisis would look like, ideally, for you? So we know that the, the ammunition that's needed uh, from an economic response, the scale uh, that the federal government is working on, is the scale and size of a economic stimulus that we need. The, the passage uh, out of the Senate the other day, uh, the stimulus bill was huge for our nation's economy. Uh, and that's the sort of uh, absolutely needed policy tools to intervene at this point, because uh, these are certainly uncharted uh, waters when it comes to where we are as an economy. Uh, the state right now, as we are speaking, is also considering uh, a state uh, stimulus package and in, in response to COVID-19 outbreaks. So you'll see a lot of big tools come out of the box from the state. Uh, and so as a regional business organization, we partner together with over 30 business groups to say, hey, what is it that local governments can do? Because local governments may not have the ability or access uh, to the types of tools that the federal government has. However, they, have, they can do things that will help businesses immediately uh, while we are waiting for the state and the federal resources to arrive. So what we did is we partnered together 
with all the chambers of commerce and trades groups, both north and south of the river, across all seven counties to say, here's a toolkit. Elected officials, if you're listening, which they are, they're, they're reaching out. Elected officials have been really clear. They, wanna, they want to help the business community. Uh, but letting them understand what it is that we need was critical. So uh, with the input of almost every single one of those uh, signers, we created this regional toolkit for, for elected officials to follow as a checklist. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you need to do. And they're responding to it. We're very encouraged by some early signs and early responses by our leaders here to be able to assist the business community in ways that they can do it. And we, we want a regional response and we need it. A couple of those things that are outlined in that letter, you want transportation infrastructure projects to continue. You want affordable housing projects. We're in dire need. You and I have talked about affordable housing. You mm -hmm. want that to continue. You also talk about putting off, uh, postponing some taxes like the Portland clean energy surcharge and the Portland gas tax. Yeah, so there's a number of taxes that are that are in action right now that we think it's just really important to get dollars into the economy now. Uh, so any tax that is uh, you know, sitting in a, in a government account somewhere, it's not helping businesses, it's not helping residents today. So what we're really broadly outlining here is that local elected officials needs to need to get dollars into uh, the hands of our residents immediately. So that's the broadest outline of that. And also, if you think about the gas tax, gas tax, great example, we are now dependent as an economy, as a region on delivery services. So anything we can do to lower the cost of getting food and supplies to our residents uh, will benefit those consumers. So they'll be able to save more uh, for the tight times that will inevitably be ahead. So we're really encouraging ways to help to facilitate the executive order that was issued by the governor to say, hey, here's how you can stay at home and here's how you can help consumers and businesses. So that's on, on the tax side of things. And really also we're, we're focused on making sure that small businesses are getting the relief that they need and the bridge loans necessary uh, until that point in time that the SBA disaster loans uh, can be deployed. And that's going to be forthcoming. So we're really working collaboratively with a lot of local governments to get investment into small business. So you look at the tax package, there's a lot of things that local governments can do to delay uh, to get dollars onto the street right now. And then also about making investments in small businesses that will be absolutely critical for their survival uh, and their ability to reopen when uh, things are better and the stay-at-home order is lifted. So I think all those together make a complete package for local government officials to act on. Andrew, we only have about a minute left, but I want, did want to mention that um, the metro tax that's slated for May for homeless services is ex expected to raise $250 million. It raises taxes on upper income earners and on small businesses that make more than $5 million. There are a number of chambers of commerce like Beaverton, Gresham, Tualatin who want to postpone that, but the Portland Business Alliance, which has endorsed that measure, wants to move forward. Can you tell us uh, in less than a minute why? Sure. So the actual, if voters approve, that's the key element, if voters approve this measure, uh, it won't take effect until 2021. So we believe that there's a good enough uh, cushion here to get us out of um, any of the serious troubles that we're in right now. Uh, we totally understand when people have disagreements, uh, but we believe that the reality of what's about to happen, economically speaking, makes this measure here together more important than ever before. Uh, it, it, we can all see what's coming down the road here. Homelessness services will have a greater demand than it ever has before, and it would be irresponsible of us uh, to think that that's not going to happen and that we need to have the tools and the resources ready for when we may see a serious uptick in uh, the unsheltered population in our streets. And we are 
very supportive of this and our organization stands behind our commitment of endorsement. Andrew Hone from the Portland Business Alliance, thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Stay healthy. You too. You know how tough it is for you at home right now. Imagine being on the street with no home, no place to wash your hands close by, and accurate information is hard to come by. That's the life for many of our residents experiencing homelessness amid a pandemic. Next, we hear from two people on the front lines trying to help. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We've been told to social distance, stay six feet apart, wash our hands frequently, and now stay at home. But what about those who don't have a home? The executive director of Street Roots newspaper, Kaya Sand, is out on the front lines trying to help the city's unhoused. And so is Raven Drake, a former Navy medic who is homeless herself. I talked to them via video chat about the conditions on the street. Kaya and Raven, welcome to Straight Talk. Kaya is at the Street Roots office and Raven is at her camp. We appreciate your being with us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Let me start with Kaya. Street Roots gives opportunities to people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty. You're on a coronavirus task force. Describe for us what the conditions are like during this pandemic for people who don't have a home. Thanks, Laurel. Yes, I mean, it's extraordinarily difficult. Um, you know, we know that when we're asked to shelter in place and people don't have shelter, automatically there's um, a, an impossibility of the request. So at Street Roots, what we've been doing is just trying to adapt as quickly as possible. And we uh, take the from the lead of unhoused people themselves who are so incredibly resourceful and creative that actually the ways in which they are able to respond in a moment like this shows leadership really for the rest of the community. And I know one of the people who is a leader is Raven. Raven joins us from her camp. Raven, tell us a little bit about your background, where your camp is, and and what it's like, what the conditions are like right now for people on the street and living in the camps. Um, So I'm a former uh, combat medic who uh, ended up coming out to Portland in December. I'm actually camped on the side of I-5, just off of interstate behind the Alibi Bar, and and uh, the camps out here from the beginning, it was kind of confusion, but as time has gone on and we've been able to get to more and more people and the correct information, uh, we've been able to really help them adapt. Uh, I've seen a lot of people in my area spread their tents out more and try to distance themselves and get some kind of social distance in order. And so it's been very interesting. Okay, what about the governor's stay-at-home order, the social distancing of six feet apart? The mayor has said that applies to people who are homeless, too. Tell us a little bit about the challenges that presents. Yes, I mean, I will say that, you know, down at Street Roots, so we have a lot of uh, folks who are used to earning income um, selling the paper, and we've had to come up with all kinds of other ways for them to earn income, and that includes... Uh, providing essential services. So we have one person here who was, she's unhoused now. She was a flagger on the way for fairs. So she now, with 
upkeep in terms of their social distancing, putting duct tape on the sidewalk around us in Old Town. And um, what I've found is that unhoused people are trying so hard with what is an impossible situation. I mean, people want to be healthy. They want the rest of, of the community to be healthy. They want to do what's asked of them, but it's just very, very difficult. I do think the governor should make an exception to any kind of misdemeanor for people who are unhoused. Um, I know that a number of police officers have been trying to communicate that they're not really, they're just trying to you know, inform people, but I think there is a certain amount of fear and we have to just be striving to create opportunities for unhoused people to have the shelters that they need to shelter in place while also mitigating the kind of fear that they're experiencing. So Raven, jump in here and tell us what it's like as you're trying to social distance out there and and to abide by these stay-at-home social distancing orders. Um, so while I've been going around the camps, we're just trying to let people know that, you know, a lot of the resources, food, medical, they, they could still go out and achieve these. Um, but we're just trying to convince upon them that just like everybody else in the house, if you can stay at home, stay in your camp, um, then do so, you know, but it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of difficulty in that most days because you have to constantly go out to find food, go out to find resources, go out to find water. And so most of it is just I've noticed a lot of people attempting to abide by it, but it's just really hard for unhoused people mm-hmm. to really fully abide by the stay home order. Tell us how tough it is to actually for, for hygiene to be able to wash your hands. We're told to wash our hands a lot. Are there enough places to wash your hands or is there enough hand sanitizer? Um. We're running, you know, we've tried to pass out hand sanitizer all the time. We're working with people to get more. Um, I tell people to wash their hands, but it's it's not a stopgap. It's not a fix-all. And the city did provide a lot of hand washing stations throughout the area. uh, But it's still hard to find those uh, in more of the remote camping areas. And so I've watched a lot of people are getting creative who have want, went and bought buckets and they're putting, you know, and they're filling it up every day as a place for people to, you know, wash their hands. They're, there's a lot of creative solutions that the unhoused people are trying to do just to stay safe and stay healthy. You're a, a Street Roots vendor. You're a Street Roots vendor. Yes. Tell us about uh, all the vendors out there, how many there are and, and what mm. you've been doing to help them. Um. Oh man, there's there's a couple hundred of us out here, and uh, mainly what this program started as was not only a way in which we could go out and reach the community, but a way that all of us who rely on the paper for our income through donations of very kind people were able to uh, start a stipend for each day of work with this program that we could put a little money into these vendors' pockets for all their hard effort. Kaya, let me bring bring you in. What do you think about Raven's efforts? Tell me a little bit about Raven and what Raven's doing out there. No, oh, Raven's my hero. I <laughs> mean, I mean, I'm so happy that we were able to find out what Raven was doing as this coronavirus was breaking and so that we could get ahead of this as much as possible. Um, We were aware at Street Roots that people weren't going to be able to make an income selling the paper. Usually they buy it for quarters, sell it for a dollar. 
And because that is our mission, we you know produce a newspaper and we get income into people's pockets. The antidote to poverty is income. So we needed to make sure that there are other ways to get income into people's pockets. So, you know, by Raven having this leadership and already doing this medical outreach, we could build on her um, her leadership and her knowledge to create new ways that uh, folks could work. Um, so we see we see it as that every time you try to solve for one thing, you try to solve for something else at the same time. So any work we're creating also needs to help us deal as a community with this public health crisis. We're also, thanks to folks all over the region, we're also able to give out income, give out assistance to every single vendor, um, over 200 people right now um, at some level every week. So that's something as long as, you know, as folks keep in the community, just keep generously contributing to street roofs, then we get that money into people's pockets. Because you haven't been able to publish the paper, right? You're doing this digitally now? That's right. So we, you know, it's important to us that we're always functioning as media. So we're doing the paper digitally, but now there's that disconnect, right? That's not um, a mode that gets money into people's pockets. So we had to come up with these new ways, the stipends through the action team that Raven and her co-chair Tina are leading, and then the vendor assistance fund. And between the two, we're able to get money to everyone. And I want to give people that website if they would like to contribute. It's news.streetroots.org, news.streetroots.org. I'll try to repeat that in a little bit. Akaya, you were telling me uh, in an essay that you wrote in uh, Street Roots, you talked about how people who are homeless are often scapegoated or stigmatized, especially in a crisis like this. Have you seen an example of that? You know, I heard of, I, I've heard of, you know, some isolated um, examples and um, there might be more, um, but I've also really heard from a lot of people uh, that there's incredible support. So I'm really happy with that. I feel like um, we're able to elevate the way in which unhoused people are already always acting as caretakers um, among each other, that we're able to elevate that and show that they know how to do this public health work. We just have to create systems and structures um, to let them do that. And Raven, you have a medical tent. Tell me a little bit about your response to this pandemic. Um, so it originally started back in February. Um, I had two uh, campmates who have compromised immune systems and so i set up a isolation tent in case anybody in my area would get sick that i could treat them and keep my campmates safe and then as time went on it just kept growing and growing and uh all the people in this area know that i have this medical tent and i've used it to help a few of them thankfully i've never had to use it to isolate anybody uh but Everybody in this area knows that it's here for them if they need it. Kaya, we only have about a minute left, but I did want to ask yeah. you, with this crisis that we're seeing, people being laid off, are, are you worried that we may see more people experience homelessness? And how are you adapting to this new world that we're in right now? I'm, I'm very concerned about it, and I'm just focused on uh, making sure that anyone can get a job that can get a job and that we think as a larger uh, society about how, as I said, we solve for something else whenever we try to solve for one thing. So I'd love to see, you know, can our region do a master lease on all the hotels that don't have business anymore so we can get people in or, um, you know, pay the restaurants that are out of work uh, to be able to feed people who are hungry? Like, how do we keep thinking about 
our larger region. And we know that everyone is struggling. I mean, that this is a shared um, struggle that we have globally now. Um, so how do we look at our very, very difficult moment and keep our eye on a better future, a future that we can salvage and then dream toward um, in how we respond to this crisis. Kaya and Raven, thank you so much for joining us here on Stray Talk. I want to give that website one more time if people would like to contribute, and that is news.streetroots.org. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you for watching and listening. Don't forget to download our new podcast. Here's a QR code that will take you to a link or download our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for KGW Stray Talk. And there are more ways to watch now. You can see us Friday nights at 7, on the weekend at 6.30 p.m., and Monday mornings at 4.30. We'll see you next week for Stray Talk. Stay safe.